Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 90, Carrie Miscelli on communication and curiosity. A shout out to listeners in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Sergipe, Brazil, South Australia, Pachincha, Ecuador. With that, let's get started. If you're inherently curious, have a focus of discovery, and happen to work in talent development, your name might be Carrie Maselli. Carrie is the Director of Learning and Development at Inspirant Group. With their unconsultants, the Inspirant Group offers solutions that start with inspiration and end in transformation. They do talent development, change management, and just about everything in between. Along with her results focus, Carrie is passionate about creating learning solutions that are effective, fun, and always focus on the learner. She challenges outdated thinking about training, and a lot of organizations really should have that same attitude. Carrie has a wealth of leadership experience, and in the stories you're about to hear, Carrie shares some of what she's learned about leadership. Part 1. Strengthening Communication People in organizations struggle with communication, just the basics. People who say that they're effective communicators may not be as effective as they think. As with leadership, communication is something that we should strive to develop over time. Carrie shares a story that has to do with communication. Here's Carrie to explain. Four years ago, I was in a class being certified to, or master certified, I should say, to facilitate DISC. So I don't know if you're familiar with this. Oh, yeah. But it's a behavioral style of communication. And it's of interest to me. I really love that field. I think communication is critical to success in business and leadership and interpersonally, you know, when we think about our personal lives. And the woman who was teaching the course, I actually am certified uh, through TTI. And the woman's name is Lisa Bouchard, who owns a company called Data Dome. And one of the days we were learning from her, she's a true expert and wonderful lady. And she said that DISC allows us to communicate in a way that people look forward to the next interaction with us. I have not forgotten it. In fact, I've shared it every time I talk about DISC and maybe even sometimes when I don't. Uh, because to me, I just felt it so empowering. And not only did it change my perspective, because I thought it is on me, you know, it's on me to understand how other people want to be communicated with. That's the beauty of DISC is that we understand, you know, behavior and and how people prefer to be communicated with. And so I can make adjustments to the way that I communicate. That doesn't mean necessarily that I have a bunch of best friends running around, you know, especially in the workplace, though I'm communicating in a way that people, they look forward to it, they enjoy it, they find it productive on some level. And it really, I think, elevates relationships, especially. I'm going to take a guess. If you were interacting with someone who is either on the same team or from a different department or even a client, if that person has not gone through DISC, my guess is that even though you may not think of that person as being associated with one of those letters, going through that program, getting certified has helped you just be able to communicate with someone that you don't know in a better way. That's absolutely correct. I think the beauty, again, of DISC is that it is based on observable behavior, Gary. So I can, if I just pay attention, you know, to somebody who I'm talking with, even if I've just met them, there are things that I can pick up on that allow me, you're exactly right, to communicate, you know, maybe it's my pace that I'll change or slow down. Typically, it's for me, it's to slow down for others. 
Um, it's my pace. It can be the time with which I give the other person to respond. Those are just a couple of examples of what I might do when I pick up on, you know, how somebody else really prefers to be communicated with. It's a wonderful tool. And this has helped you with your current role, what you're doing now, working with clients and even with the teams that you oversee on, on their projects, right? Oh, there's no question. Like you said, when it comes to clients, I have clients who come from all different backgrounds and have all uh, different requirements, you know, in terms of what they need from a communication standpoint. And I'm thrilled to be able to provide it to them, you know, based on what I know and, and how tuned in I am to them and what they need. And then, of course, the teams that I manage, I manage multiple teams, you know, based on, you know, different client deliverables. All of the people I work with are incredibly talented, but also very different, you know, in terms of what they need from me from a leadership perspective and a support perspective. And so it helps me tremendously. You mentioned a couple of things that you observe from someone's behavior and you adjust or accommodate to that behavior to improve how you communicate. What are a couple of other things that someone who hasn't been through the program could they could be conscious about when they're interacting with peers or people they just don't know one thing that comes up a lot gary and when i'm working with people to to better their understanding of not only themselves and their communication style but that of others the one that's trickiest for a lot of people is the dominant style and that's somebody who uses direct language you know to communicate they don't beat around the bush they want you to get to the point they like facts and results. They're very results oriented. And they also really like to be challenged. That's something that I think when you're not a dominant style, so let's say your leader, your manager or your leader or someone you work with is a dominant style and you observe that their emails are short and to the point that don't pause and spend a lot of time on, you know, pleasantries, you know, when they, yeah. when they yeah. interact with you. And of course, none of this is wrong, right, Gary? This is just how someone communicates. And where I see a lot of struggle in the workplace is, let's say you were my manager and you were had a dominant communication style and I was bringing an idea to you and mm -hmm. I had thought it out, but maybe not as well as I needed to. Or maybe maybe you start to ask me questions and really challenge my thinking. Let's say I don't agree with or would like to challenge you on an idea you have. One thing that's really great about the dominant style, the D style of communication, is that they want to be challenged. That's where they're really building a relationship with people. That debate and that, you know, prove it to me, prove me, prove to me that I'm wrong or prove to me that I'm right type of thing is really productive for that style. And I think when you're not that way, so the dominant style is one of the low, lowest percentage, I'll say, in the population of people who communicate in that style. And so they often get a bad rap because people are afraid. They'll come across as, as really direct and they'll ask questions and they'll, they'll want to debate and challenge. And people get really nervous around that. And they think that that person is challenging them as a person or doesn't like their idea when, in fact, they're really just trying to inspire some healthy debate. And for someone who has a manager like that, that hasn't been through the program, just being able to communicate that, you know, I recognize that you like things in a quick preferred way and you like to be challenging, you like the challenge, just letting that person know that's, I see that with you, it's an area that I'm not comfortable being like, and just letting that person know how you like to communicate makes all the difference in the world. I love that you said that. It's so true. I think not only do we want to be seen and heard as individuals, but I also am someone who believes in calling out the uncomfortable. You know, yeah. and and when you can state that and say that to someone you work with or who you are in communication with, or even you know someone who you, of course who you trust, when you say, "I recognize this in you. I'm trying. Please know that you know that this is something that I'd like to be able to do for you." I think it just really builds even greater trust, and it strengthens, excuse me, the relationship. When someone comes to you like that and say, hey, look, I'm really uncomfortable with the way I, I can't communicate the way you do. It's it's just not comfortable for me. It actually raises awareness of the other person, right? 
I would hope so. Yes. I mean, if the person is open to the feedback, you know, if they're hearing someone say, you know, I recognize that you have a very direct style and I often need time to think before I can weigh in or give you my opinion. So while I appreciate, you know, you coming in and giving me an opinion on something that maybe we just discussed, if I could get a heads up on something you want me to talk about or reflect on in the next meeting, if you could let me know in advance, I'll be able to come prepared with something really great. It is on both people hearing that, isn't it? And giving the other person what they need. Part two, Rethinking the Book Club. In a few of the previous episodes, some of the guests have talked about the Platinum Rule. The Golden Rule, which a lot of people are familiar with, states that treat other people the way you would like to be treated. The Platinum Rule, it's a little bit different. Treat other people the way they would like to be treated. Carrie shares an amazing story that really illustrates what the Platinum Rule is about. Here's Carrie to explain. This is a personal story of my own learning uh, when it come, when it came to leading a team of people. So about 15 years ago, I was leading, I was a regional sales manager, and I was leading a team of 14 people who were across the Midwest region. And so I didn't get to see all of them all the time. You know, we spoke on the phone every day. They all had their own offices throughout the region that they would work out of. And so to bring everybody together and really to try to foster a stronger relationship, I would have a monthly team meeting where everybody would come to the corporate office, which was easy for most of them to get to, you know, on a monthly basis. You know, I'd have these full agendas. I absolutely loved these team meetings. I loved bringing everyone together. I loved coming up with agenda items, and I thought it was really great for everybody just to have that shared experience. You know, not only could they build relationships, but they could learn from each other, you know, brainstorm challenges. And one thing I decided early on was that I was going to introduce a book club to the group. So remember, it's 14 people. I started choosing a book, one that I had found that I thought was really interesting or helpful in some way or helped me grow and develop as a person. And then I would mail the book to everybody at their office well in advance of the meeting and ask them to read it. And then they, uh, you know, I'd put the book club discussion on the agenda for that month, you know, that followed whenever I sent it. Honestly, Gary, I couldn't wait. I loved these meetings. And for the most part, they were very successful. And then one day, a young man who was on my team his name was Steve, really, really great guy. I respected him a ton. He asked me, he pulled me aside and he said, could I talk with you? And I said, sure, you know, what's going on? And he had tears in his eyes, Gary. And he said, I hate to read. I hate reading so much. It's so hard for me. I struggle to read quickly. And he said, I'm not typically interested in reading and I'm starting to dread these monthly meetings. And in that moment, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Because I am someone who you can't tell, I love to read. (laughs) I afford to it because I love to read. I spent my childhood in trees reading books. I still, as an adult, read at least a dozen books a year, if not more. I love it. It's my favorite pastime. And I, you know, often or every time I chose the book. So, of course, this was a delight for me. And what happened in that moment that I am so grateful for, I'm grateful for that employee who was honest with me, you know, and had courage enough to, to give me that feedback. But I'm grateful for that perspective. Until that moment, Gary, I managed from a place of what I thought what other people needed was what I wanted, that it was the same. You know, and I think a lot of young managers and maybe even some experienced managers, hopefully not too many, we make that mistake, you know, when we're young and we say, well, I see the world from my lens, my perspective, and this is what I enjoy or what I like and need. 
And so I'm just going to translate that to an entire other group of people who may or may not, you know, match me with those needs. And so what he did was just completely open my eyes to this idea that I need to ask people what they want to do. And then I can't assume that people want to do what I want to do or that they find joy in the same way, you know, that I do or they learn in the same way, frankly. I mean, (laughs) given, you know, my role as a director of learning and development, people learn in different ways as well. I'm so grateful to him. And I, I I just don't, I've never forgotten it. And I'm reminded of it all the time that, uh, and, and, and in case you're curious, I made the book club optional. So anybody who wanted to read the book and wanted to talk about it, we just had a separate call where we would do that. And I didn't require it anymore of all the employees in, on the team. There's been a couple of people on the podcast who have voiced this in, in a, actually a similar way. And they talk about it as making a transition from the golden rule, do unto others as how you would want to be treated to do unto others how they would like to be treated. And it's like with the book club is a great example of someone who is really challenged by that particular task. You're recognizing that and making it so it was optional is a way of accommodating people. And it's a great lesson for anyone to treat people the way they would like to be treated. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's actually something that we talk about. It relates to DISC too, doesn't it? I mean, from you know earlier, I think this idea that I'm going to communicate in a way that you want to be communicated with, and then I'm also going to treat you as though you want to be because it's very different or at times can be incredibly different from how I want to be treated. I really thought, Gary, that I was doing something great. I thought I was bringing the team something really great that they would all cherish like I did. And it wasn't until that moment, like I said, I was so grateful to my coworkers' honesty because then it just, it helped me to realize that <laughs> there's so many people out there who need different things. I love the platinum rule. With the workforce, there is such a huge transition with people joining the workforce that are new, that have never worked before in an organization. When you bring in new people with less experience, they tend to not know or have been trained on DISC or how to communicate or leadership. It seems that there's a responsibility for those who are more experienced to steward and help them adapt and become more effective in how they interact with the people they work with. That's why I'm such a fan, Gary, of emerging leaders programs within organizations, because it does allow the organization to put some structure around, you know, some really high potential people within the organization who are not yet ready to lead, though can spend time preparing and learning just these things that we're talking about. We can expose them to leadership concepts early on that they can apply right away, you know, to their peers and the people they work with. And then as they grow in their career, they have the skill set and, you know, we'll certainly learn more as they go. But there's a tremendous value and emerging leaders programs within organizations. And frankly, it's one of my favorite things to be involved with. There's real research around, there's a gap between when someone becomes a manager for the first time around typically age 30, there's a gap of 12 years before they're actually invested in from a leadership development perspective. And so it's not until they get to that director or even you know above director level where they start to actually be involved in or have opportunity to, to attend or be a part of leadership development courses. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> 10 or 10 to 12 years go by. I would even add that just from personal empirical evidence, which it means my opinion, that I've seen this happen so many times. <laughs> yes. and, and gosh, I, I think I went from I, I when I went into started managing. I didn't develop an interest in leadership and realize how crucial it is to learn some simple things like better listening and communication. I think it took me 
I don't know, maybe about four or five years before it just really hit me that, oh my gosh, there's actually some some ways you could learn. It's not just figure it out as you go along. Oh my gosh. And you're not alone in that. I mean, there's a maturity level that's needed. Absolutely. You know, at an experience level, even, you know, and working with people, but there's also whatever model you have, you know, that you, the ways in which you've been led, you know, are really, I think, instrumental to how you then as a young manager lead. If you have a manager who leads with humility, which is frankly, I think the best, most advantageous way to lead, you see that and you start to model that, or if someone's modeling it for you, then you'll put that into practice. But if you've got a leader who does not lead with humility and maybe more ego than anything else, which is often incredibly problematic or always problematic, then that's how you think leaders behave. I think we have an opportunity, a real opportunity to catch these young, as I mentioned, high potential people before they embark on these leadership roles to try to hedge that a little bit. Part three, curiosity. A few people have told me that everyone has a story And I also think that everyone has lessons that they've learned about their stories. They also have practical advice to give. Carrie offers us some practical advice that can help us along our way as we develop our leadership. Once again, here's Carrie. One of the most important things we can do as people and especially leaders is to gain and grow in our own perspective. You know, we talked about that earlier with this lens with which we see the world and we all only have our own until we actively seek out new perspective. And so I think one way we can do that right away, I mean, it can start immediately as soon as anyone stops listening to us today, Gary, that we can pause and we can ask questions, right? We can give people the benefit of the doubt. We can be more curious. I think that the biggest piece of advice that I would give to anybody is to stop and ask more question. If there are things you don't understand, or if there are decisions that people make that you just can't see how they got to that decision, you know, there's that pause and there's that, let me give this person the benefit of the doubt. You know, frankly, they they could have started from a different starting place than me and ended up in a place where that decision made the most sense for them. And so if we can really take the time to get to know people. I see that especially true if you are trying to do some brainstorming or generating ideas with people. Instead of focusing on the next thing you're going to say, you inquire and try to ensure that you understand what the other person is saying. Amazing things could come out of that. You're absolutely right. Instead of making a statement, I love how you put that, Gary. Instead of making a statement, ask a question. You know, let curiosity drive everything, every conversation you have. You know, when you can spend more time learning about the other person or the situation, the better it is. Like you said, Gary, that your ideas will come out of that, you know, that conversation or this interaction on some level. I think there are a couple of ways. I mean, when people say like, okay, great. Yeah. Ask more questions. You know, I think it's always important that we give them some sort of toolkit or roadmap, you know, on how to do that. And I would say on a personal level, when you're an employee uh, working within an organization or working with other people, the best way to do it is just to reach out, you know, reach out up and downstream, you know, make understanding a lot more of where you fit into the ecosystem of the organization, asking uh, someone who you work with, who you may not know as well, maybe to have a Zoom coffee with you, or maybe now if you're comfortable, you could meet if you're in the same city for an outdoor coffee or even at a coffee shop with the, the sole purpose of getting to know that person better. You know, when we build relationships across organizations, there's no question that productivity will increase and that people just are happier working together when they know one another. And when you do that, you never know what kind of collaboration will come out of it. 
you never know. You're exactly right. And you have such a greater understanding of, like I said, where you fit in. And I think a leader of a department can actually build upon that even and understand more about how their department fits into the greater ecosystem you know, of the organization and be able to communicate that with people on the team. These are the people and maybe they formalize, you know, a conversation or an event where they could, the people on that team could spend time with another team and say, this is how they're affected by our decision. When we make this decision or we choose to do this in our department, it impacts this department in this way. And I think when we as people can understand that, we understand the impact specifically of what our actions and decisions have on others in the organization, there's real benefit, you know, because we might pause and make a different decision if we really thought through that and really considered, you know, the people in the other department. Organizationally, if you're in a position where you can affect the culture of the organization, maybe in HR or in some leadership capacity, I think it's, again, helping to break down silos, helping people to better understand how they fit in up and downstream and what that means, you know, when they make decisions and perform the functions of their role within the organization. I think people really want purpose. It's Daniel Pink, the mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And I think when they know their purpose and they know why they're doing what they do every day, you're going to see a lot more productive happy employees. My thanks to Carrie Maselli. If you'd like to learn more about Carrie, go to the show notes. And if you have a question or comment, go to unlabelleadership.com, click the message icon, and you can leave a voicemail message up to one minute. I'd like to thank those who contribute to the show. Your contributions makes a difference because this is an all-volunteer service. Lastly, I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, lead on!